The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand cave rescue operation. What is schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? engagement How long before gift? a wedding should I send out How many save games the dates? Are in the first series Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find the Welcome to the Voices of Search podcast and I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we'll share the news, knowledge, and strategies you need to navigate the ever-changing world of SEO. Ready to expedite your company's organic growth efforts? Sit back, relax, and get ready for your daily dose of search engine optimization wisdom. Here's today's host of the Voices of Search podcast, Tyson Stockton. Hey, what's going on? My name is Tyson Stockton from previsible.io. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing SEO regression tests. Joining me today is Carl Kleinschmidt, who is VP of SEO strategy at Local SEO Guide. Local SEO Guide is a consultancy that makes SEO simple for enterprises, multiple location brands, and agencies. Today, Carl and I are going to be diving into the topic of how to avoid technical issues that could crush your website performance. And this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. All right, here's my conversation with Carl Kleinschmidt, VP of SEO Strategy at Local SEO Guide. Carl, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to have you back on. I'm looking forward to the topic today. And, you know, we were able to kind of team up with the previsible team to work with you on some of the research and kind of tips that you have in this space. So I look forward to sharing that with the audience on this podcast. And maybe to, to start us out, Let's level set for the listeners if anyone's not as familiar with regression tests. But can you kind of just give the overview of what we're talking about in this context? And then we can kind of start to dive into, you know, what problems and what solutions this could hold. Sure. So the goal of SEO regression tests or regression tests as in general is that 
every single time you release software, you make sure that the website still works. For SEO, right, you can't really tell whether SEO will work unless you run simulations of some kind. And so for SEO regression tests, it's more about have things changed? Because when you are releasing software or other departments are releasing software, things might change that you didn't want to change, or things might change in ways that you didn't expect them to, or things don't change even though you did expect them to. And so by just implementing these SEO regression tests, you just make a note of the most important SEO elements and seeing if they changed and if they did, how did they change? Excellent. And I think this is something, and we chat on this before, like especially on the enterprise or the large website side, is it something that's super critical to it? Because there's always those scenarios of unforeseen impacts, things like that. So I think in layman's terms, this is a way to systematically validate and identify what changes occurred and then to be aware of that in your deployments from that. And so obviously this is a pretty broad application of seeing any changes deployed on the site and kind of your before and after. But can you maybe highlight a few common examples of where this would have like a useful application? Sure. And so the number one thing that I want to start with is work with your QA department on this. They are going to have automated QA of some kind. And I would not recommend building an SEO-only version of this. Work with your existing QA department, and it's going to make your life so much easier. And so the working together, we came up with this basically tiers of elements, where the first tier are elements that only SEO cares about for the most part. And then tier two are important SEO elements and tier three are other elements where a lot of other people use those. And so, right, the tier one SEO elements are things like canonical links, title tags, schema, alt tags. So if any of those things break, no one else will notice other than the SEO team and maybe the social team, but it could take down the entire site, for instance, with canonical links, if you break canonical links and Google believes your canonical links. So kind of doing that, maybe if you could also just kind of expand on what are examples and what are what's included in those other tiers as well. Sure. And so for the second tier, it's important elements that can definitely have a huge impact on SEO, but other people, other departments rely on them as well. And so things like title tags, internal links, headlines, URLs, right? Everyone uses those, but you need to make sure that any changes to those elements are known to you and you know how they will affect SEO or you can raise a flag and say, hey, I know we're implementing this change, but it will have this negative effect on SEO. Are we sure we want to do this? And then the third tier of elements are things like right, the actual content, images. Right? Those are going to be really hard to track what all the changes were 
but and they mostly rely mostly other teams use it and if they get changed without you knowing they won't suddenly break everything it could have a negative impact but it's more about noting the change than it is about things like stopping a release because someone replaced an image or changed a piece of content gotcha so essentially the way we're approaching running these tests is first we're looking at like the types of changes and grouping those into these three different buckets. So we have our tier one SEO only. We're only caring about these, but there's significant implications of search performance on it. So that's kind of our, our tier one, our priority, or selfishly speaking, our priority is SEO. Our tier two, you have important factors, but there could have other cross-functional dependencies on. So it's a significant flag or notice, but there has to be some review with like the involvement of other teams. And so it's kind of in this in-between state. And then the third tier, still important elements, but they're not necessarily these risk of breaking and higher stakes risk to it. And so from this, you're able to position, hey, this is how we can start to navigate once we're getting these. And essentially, you're, you're setting the ground rules for how to qualify the findings of these tests, correct? Yeah. And the other big important thing is, can SEO stop a release to production? That is something you're going to have to argue with your QA team. But for tier ones, I would recommend SEO can stop a release to production because it can have a huge impact. While for the second tier where other people also depend on those elements, it is not only up to SEO to stop a release to production. It is more about giving input saying like, hey, this will have a significant increase, a decrease in SEO traffic, but I know you guys need this for this big event or you need this for this release. I just want to raise this flag and we need to as quickly as possible, fix it. But it is not solely up to you for to stop a release. And the third tier, you should almost never stop a release because of it, unless, I don't know, someone is about to release something that literally removes all the content from the website or removes all the images, like those really drastic things. Got it. And what I like about this approach too is It's a framework, but it allows for the ability of customization. And so whether it's specific elements on that or what teams you have involved or even kind of like what authority that you're able to kind of advocate for like within your organization. And so I think listeners out there can take this as, again, a framework you have the initial recommendations of what would belong in each category. But I think it does leave it a bit open-ended that someone can customize this to their organization specifically. Exactly. Right. We don't know everyone's release process. We don't know their roles. And so just thinking about them in those tiers and working with your QA and release team uh, will get you the farthest. Now, in application of this approach, Is this something that prior to utilizing it, that you're running through the organization, you're sharing it with people prior to running the test? 
like what advice would you have for people on like embarking on the implementation of this process? So the first thing that I would say is this should, every site above a million pages should have some sort of process like this. And I'm guessing you have some sort of history of when technical issues cause drops in ranking or drops in traffic. And that is going to be your best selling point, right? If you can go back and say, remember when this went wrong, we lost a million dollars a month because this got released. If we had had SEO regression tests in place, monitoring these specific elements, we would have caught this on staging instead of releasing it to productions. And we spend X amount of dollars to fix that issue. And so we could have prevented all of that and saved all that cost by implementing this. And that's going to give you a lot more budget because you're going to need your QA team to implement these. And that is going to cost something. But if you can get the QA team on your site and go to management and say, like, this is how much money we would have saved, most of the time, you're going to not get too much pushback. Excellent. And with that, it reminds me of building a business case for any other SEO initiative. And it's this one isn't, hey, we're going to drive traffic growth by X, Y, and Z. If we do this, you're kind of just doing the inverse business case of we could have saved this, we could have avoided this, but your process or approach is very similar to that building a business case for the justification and then using that to sell it in the organization. Exactly. And right in an ideal world, it wouldn't be necessary because you would know every single change that gets released as an SEO that's relevant to you. And every single release goes exactly as planned. But sadly, we don't live in an ideal world. And so those are, that makes it a lot easier to go to people and say like, hey, I know in an ideal world, we will never have unintended changes to these things. Let's make sure. Because if one of these things goes wrong, like it did back then, this is what could happen. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help, and you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you can work with a cookie-cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. 
Absolutely. It's like, it's your safety net. You're creating this, not let's, let's not say guarantee, but you're creating this like kind of check checkpoint to prevent these larger issues. Now you kind of, you called out the larger websites, obviously the enterprises out there, there's already going to be some sort of QA process for releases. At what stage, like say like someone's not in a enterprise organization, like at what stage would you recommend implementing this type of approach? For the fully automated, like real regression tests, I like that million page threshold. Or if you have a lot of departments that are all releasing code independently and you don't have insights into it, right? Like if you have a QA department that does automated QA and you have six to 10 other departments that are all releasing and it is impractical for you to read release notes and see what's going on, that is another case where it makes sense to go fully automated. There is a more manual version of this, which is you basically go to the release team and say, please give me 24 hours notice before when staging is about to become production and you can run a crawl yourself. And then you can make the decision if you want to push for stopping that release. That is the, the less automated and it takes more manual work but it will allow you to catch the really big issues because you're not going to be able to do a full crawl in that time and write it up and present it. And so what I have started doing for some of the larger sites that I work with is say every single time there is a a new version, we do half a percent to 1% of the URL crawls. So you can do it really quickly and catch the really big things and then do a 40 to 100% URL crawl of the entire site if there is a push from staging to production, assuming that isn't happening too often, right? Like if you're doing continuous releases and it's happening once a week, that's going to be a lot of crawls that you have to do. But maybe you do it once a week or once a month, however much crawl budget you have available. Yeah, it's a... It's a great call too. And I like the sampling because as we know, when you're operating in that large enterprise site space, it's whatever you find in kind of one version of the template is very likely in the others. So it's like you need the sample, but to have some confidence, you don't necessarily need a full site crawl and you could do something more quick and nimble to have that sanity check. Especially if you do like X amount of uh, URLs per page type, right? You know which are your most important page types. If you say randomly select 15 URLs per page type, that's going to give you a great distribution of those URLs when you do those sample crawls. Got it. So we've kind of established here, this is the framework and these are the situations that it has the strongest fit. Can you walk the audience through a little bit how to how to test? Like once they got buy-in for it, they have the framework, they know what attributes are going in which category, what's kind of next up of how to actually perform these tests? So as I said, you're going to want to work very closely with your QA department, but you should know the rules of how these elements are generated, right? Like 
let's I'm going to use canonical links as an example, right? You know your internal logic for if this long if statement of how canonical links are generated. And so you bring that logic to the QA team, you write it down and you say, whenever we are testing canonical links, here is the logic. Here's what should happen whenever you look at this specific HTML element on staging and make sure your logic is true for staging, not for production, because you're going to be testing on staging. And then you say, if you go to this URL, here are the databases, here are the most likely APIs where all of this information is pulled from. Here's the HTML element that you're comparing it to. If it, it passes, if these two are the same, it fails if these two are not the same. And then please write down this information, probably the URL they found and the URL they expected it to be. I would also make a strong recommendation that the first time you use this is not in the middle of a release because you're going to find a lot of weird situations, right? Like, especially with canonical links or title tags, the logic can be kind of confusing and you might not be 100% correct that how the logic works and therefore the two might not exactly match. And if they don't, you want to know that before you're in the middle of a release process, not while you're in the middle of a release process. The other thing that you can do for things like schema is try to find like validation APIs, right? Like schema is a lot to analyze. And so right, every single time you're doing one of these analysis, a machine needs to go through and compare two things. If you're looking at schema, that could be a lot. And so you could, for instance, for things like for schema, find an API that validates schema and use that as the test. It doesn't always have to be comparison, and if you won't catch everything if you're doing an API, but you have to keep in mind how much processing power are you using to run these tests and how long does that take because you are that time you are adding to the release process, and the longer that time is, the more complaints and the harder it will be to get buy-in from the QA team. That's a great call. And I know probably for a lot of listeners out there is it's sounding like a fair amount of upfront work in this because we went through the previous steps and once we're actually in the testing, we're also having to find the criteria for each element that's being tested. But I think the plus side of this is yeah, you have the upfront, but once you have it in place, you have that safety net. And given the magnitude that we're operating in on the enterprise websites, having that insurance can be well worth this time to invest on the front end. On your last point, though, I think it's a really good one because it's a reality that we face is like, yeah, it may not be the ideal because, again, if you're adding a substantial amount of time to the release, it could be a difficult sell internally. So, like, where do you sit on kind of the the notion of, like, which URLs to test or how many URLs to test? Like, how do you kind of keep this within reason, but then also have something that you can trust? So my approach is generally, right, you have three factors that you can play with. You can play with the amount of URLs that you test. You have the time it takes to run each test. And you have the 
amount of tests that you run on, do you run all the tests or do you run some of the tests? My recommendation generally is for the tier one elements, spend the time to try to make work with the QA team or get other developers involved as well. Try to get that time as short as possible for each individual test because you wanna run that test for as many URLs as possible because there are always weird exceptions and especially for things like title tags and schema, there's gonna be some place where someone changed one small thing and no one knew about it. And then all of a sudden, 15 of your biggest traffic URLs have the wrong title tag. If you cannot run the majority of URLs, give QA a sorted list of URLs by traffic, by page type. So that for instance, you at least run the top 1000 URLs per page type every single time there's a release. Because right, if those have a change in canonical links, there's a chance that you lose all of that traffic overnight. That's a great call there that there's a little bit of a deviation here than how we do some tests where you are deliberately putting a bias on the most important pages rather than just trying to have like a true representative sample of any URL on the site. But you are skewing to those most important pages given the objective of this activity. Exactly. And right for the tier two elements, the chances that you get to run all of them are relatively low, especially for internal links. Right? In an ideal world, you would have a link score calculated for every single URL every single time there's a release and you would know exactly what changed. That is unrealistic in most cases. And so trying to maybe write for things like internal links, you use a third party tool to calculate link scores, or you could for headlines, you can say, okay, we're only checking H1s because the other ones aren't as important. For URLs, I would check all of them just because if URLs change something, something went wrong if you are not expecting it to. And so it, I would do it element by element, decide how much can I check? And like, right, there's the scale of importance versus effort. And you have to weigh that scale. Excellent. What else do our listeners need to know about regression tests? I think the other big thing is figure out how the notification works and how if pre-rendering is going to cause a problem with this. I'll start with notifications, but in a release process, things can go quickly. And so you need to be ready in case tests fail. And so you should know when you release and be available during that time if there's a chance you might have to stop a release. And right, is it going to be tickets? Then I would set myself up like Slack notifications or whatever messaging tool you use. But you need to be very quick in the communication. When something fails, you need to be able to, within the shortest amount of time possible, say, yes, this is a problem that will we should not push to productions or 
this should pass, but it's a big concern. We should fix it as fast as possible. And I would go through for each of the elements, think about what would cause you to pause a release and what would cause it to pass a release, but create a high priority ticket. Like one canonical link changing that you didn't expect should not cause a production release to stop. But all of your canonical links pointing to your QA site, right? you would instantly want to stop that release because there's a chance that your entire site loses all of its traffic. And so think about how you're how you get notified and what is your reaction to those notifications. That's a great point. And really like emphasizing to the piece that you said on the response time to it. You hit on earlier in the conversation, potential concerns around adding to the process time of this. You know that you have other teams and dependencies on it. So I think that that awareness and leveraging the notification in whatever form that allows you to respond the quickest is going to be the most important in that stage. Exactly. And it, it also gets you more involved in the QA process in general and work builds a closer relationship with the developers because you also understand more of what they're going through. And so that will also help you for a lot of other SEO projects. The second thing that think about your pre-rendering process. Right? Like if you are pre-rendering parts of your site or your whole site, how does that process work and when does it happen? Is it the first time a person visits? Are you doing it daily? Are you doing it weekly? How are you doing that? In some cases, it will give you a delay, right? Like if you release on Mondays and pre-render on Sundays, if for all the pages that people didn't visit, you could in theory have a second chance to QA and you have a whole week to push updates. There's could also be weird situations where if websites are being pre-rendered in a certain way and the release process is different, there could be the QA would have to be adjusted. And so because Google in most of these enterprise websites is not crawling the actual pages, but a pre-rendered version of that, Keep that in mind when you're designing your QA tests, because the only thing that really matters from an SEO QA, right, is what will Google see? So that is the thing that you need to test. And so it almost sometimes makes sense to implement those regression tests also as part of the rendering process if you are doing it yourself. All great points and always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Carl. Really enjoyed hearing the perspective here on this. For those that are listening, we are going to be including a link in the show notes to this article that Carl's been walking through. So be sure to check out the show notes and download this guide and see how you can implement it to hopefully avoid some of those pitfalls that could occur in the implementation of SEO. All right. So that wraps up this episode of the Voice of Search podcast. Thanks to our guest, Carl Kleinschmidt, VP of SEO Strategy at Local SEO Guide for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Carl, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit his company's website at localseoguide.com. 
And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E.io. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools, but that's not the case anymore thanks to Ahrefs because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T.